Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and I am excited to do this podcast here. Obviously, we've got news with Shane Waldron coming aboard as the Bears' new offensive coordinator, but we're also going to talk some Hall of Fame today. Yes, of course, we've got the Hall of Fame coming up here in just about two weeks. The big announcement, Steve McMichael expected to go in, but you know, nothing is certain until it's official. Steve McMichael on the, uh, the Veterans Committee, in essence, he is one of the finalists. Julius Peppers is one of the finalists. And of course, Devin Hester is one of the finalists. So if we want to talk about those players and the impact they had on the game, I figured let's see if we can talk to someone who knows each one of them well. And as far as I can tell, there's only one person that I know that either coached or played with all three of those individuals. And he is my old high school football coach. So we are going to have my old high school football coach on. That is true. We are actually going to have my old high school football coach on in just a little bit. Oh, but he also just happens to be the former defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears, a former linebacker of the Chicago Bears, and the former head coach of the Carolina Panthers and Washington Commanders. And that is Ron Rivera. He is going to be by here in just a little bit. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. And yes, he, I was a player in the mid-90s at Barrington High School, offensive lineman, and Rivera was a, a volunteer and assistant coach. And really, like, the, the knowledge was impressive in terms of footwork and, and pad level and how to get to the side. Like, he, he coached a lot in the trenches. He didn't just, like, focus on the linebackers. He worked with our quarterback. He did a lot of different things, and he was a great asset to, to our team. So that, that was a lot of fun that I got to pick his brain as a 17-year-old, and now I'll be able to pick his brain as a much, much older individual about those three players. So before we get to that, Obviously, we want to talk a little bit here about Shane Waldron and some of the things that are being said, not said about him coming in as the offensive coordinator. So first of all, I will say that I like this hire. I will go on record and say that I think this is a very smart hire. Once the Chicago Bears made the decision to keep Matt Eberflus, and again, that is not something I would have done, but once they made that decision to keep Matt Eberflus, I think hiring Shane Waldron and you get a little lucky that the Seahawks, you know, with Pete Carroll, you know, stepping out of the coaching role that this it was even an opportunity to bring in someone like Shane Waldron. 
This this was about the best hire you were going to be able to make. I, I applaud them for being able to convince him to come in. Shane Waldron had multiple opportunities here. He he. This was not just well he could coach the Bears or take a year off or become a tight ends coach. No, he had multiple opportunities here to be an offensive coordinator, and he chose the Chicago Bears. So I, I think that bodes really well. I know the Chicago Bears did not tip their hand as to what they were going to do. They did ask specifically about the number one pick and being able to work with the number one pick. But I believe Albert Breer was the one who put out there that Matt Eberflus also spent time defending Justin Fields. So in terms of what is coming out from these interviews, if, if we're going to play the Justin Fields or Caleb Williams game, that was that basically you are interviewing they tried to interview 10 different offensive coordinator candidates. They settled on nine because Kellen Moore was blocked by the Chargers. So when you keep all that in mind, you're not going to tip your hand because you don't know where these coaches are going to end up. You've got to keep your, you know, your cards close to the vest there. You, you're not going to want to make any definitive answers to in an interview to potential candidates because you don't know where these guys are going to end up and that knowledge that they would have could potentially impact what the Chicago Bears are trying to do this offseason. So I would not do anything in terms of what Shane Waldron's, you know, what, what was said, not said during the interview process to try and figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. But I, here's what I would say about the two things that I would say potentially could be a thing. And you want to call it confirmation bias? Because I think you all know where I stand in terms of the Kayla Williams-Justin Fields debate. You could call it confirmation bias, but here's the two things I would look at. One, I would look at that Shane Waldron shows the Chicago Bears. He had his opportunities to coach elsewhere and be an offensive coordinator elsewhere, but he chose the Chicago Bears. And why did he do that? Now, if you're a Justin Fields fan, you may sit there and say, well, because he sees something in Justin Fields and believes he can unlock it. That may be true. To me, that would be more of a sign if you're picking this. Shane Waldron wants to be an NFL head coach. And sure, if you unlock Justin Fields and make him an MVP candidate, you're going to propel yourself to become an NFL head coach. But more so, in my opinion, it would be the opportunity to work with Caleb Williams. And if Shane Waldron is a believer that Kayla Williams is an elite talent, is a special talent, that's the opportunity you're potentially coming over for, is to coach Kayla Williams for a year or two, and that propels you to become an NFL head coach and, and get an opportunity somewhere to run the football team. So that's, that's the way I look at it, is that Shane Waldron chose the Chicago Bears because he believes he's going to be able to coach Caleb Williams. To me, you don't, when you have your pick of, of options, you don't pick Justin Fields in year four after three years of not taking that next step that you think you can do it and that's going to lead you to a head coach. There, there's That path to me is a lot murkier because if you show up in Chicago and you don't unlock Justin Fields, right? If you show up in Chicago and you don't unlock Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams becomes a bust or a mediocre, you know, a mediocre first overall quarterback like Jameis Winston, Baker Mayfield had a nice year, but again, you know, Baker Mayfield, that type of player. If Caleb Williams becomes that type of player, 
Shane Waldron won't necessarily be blamed. It'll be that Caleb Williams didn't take that step. The Bears put the right you know, pieces around him so he could make that step, but they were unable to unlock him. He, he, he didn't have it. That's what I think the, the narrative would be around Shane Waldron if that happened. But if you show up with Justin Fields and Fields doesn't take that step, while fair or unfair, I think it becomes, well, then, you know, another offensive coordinator couldn't do anything with Justin Fields. If you don't do anything with Justin Fields, then there's a chance that you and Matt Eberflus are fired at the end of this season. And to me, that puts Shane Waldron's future in terms of trying to become an NFL coach on a lot murkier ground. So to me, Shane Waldron picking the Bears, to me, signifies that, yes, they're probably going the route of Caleb Williams. But again, this is not settled right now. And I think we've seen some people saying, well, they are 100% doing this or they are 100% doing that. They're exploring all their options. Now, I think they are absolutely leaning one direction. And I think they are leaning in the direction of Caleb Williams. But they have to investigate him. They have to work him out. They have to meet with him. There are several steps that, you know, and boxes that need to be checked before the Chicago Bears would commit to doing something like that. So to me, in terms of Waldron as the hire, I like the hire. I like trying to keep the, the McVay tree in essence and that type of offense. And to me, that's the other thing that points towards Caleb Williams with the hiring of Shane Waldron is the type of offense that he wants to run. And I know I've heard some people say, well, it's what Justin Fields is, is used to, so there won't be a lot of terminology changes and he can transition to a new offensive coordinator better. Sure, that may be a possibility, but you're still then implementing an offense that Justin Fields did not run well. That doesn't play to Justin Fields' strengths. Shane Waldron is going to be another guy that wants to get the ball out quickly, not just with screens that like Getsy ran, but a lot more slants and, and some quick game. Now, he, he will take deep shots. Shane Waldron likes taking deep shots. He likes explosive plays. That's great. That needs to be the case. But in the core of the offense, in terms of playing on time and playing in rhythm, the throws need to come out quickly. That's a Shane Waldron offense. You know, in fact, he worked with Russell Wilson and got Russell Wilson's time to throw significantly down in the year that they worked together. That's what Shane Waldron does. So again, does that match Justin Fields? To me, it doesn't. Maybe you think it does. That's your opinion. This is my opinion. Like I said, nothing is set in stone at this point. Maybe they find out something about Caleb Williams they're very concerned about. I don't think they will. I have been trying to do as much investigative work, so to speak, on my own. And of course, I don't have the tentacles the Chicago Bears do. But I've been trying to do as much investigative work on Caleb Williams as I can. And here's what I keep doing. Whether it's people I talk to off the record, whether it's hearing interviews, like like uh, Heward, like uh, Brock Heward on Waddle and Sylvie, and the headlines were all about how he said they should build around Justin Fields. Oh, okay, fine. That's his opinion. His opinion was based on the idea that you can't throw the football in Chicago, but you can throw the football in Green Bay. I, I, I didn't really quite get that 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 concept, but that's fine. That's his opinion. But then if you go back and not just look at the headline, but listen to the interview, it was a love letter to Caleb Williams about his skills and his talent and about who he is as a person and as a teammate 
that seems to be the narrative that really is coming after Caleb Williams is that he's not a good teammate. He's Bo Callahan. Nobody came to his birthday party. Like that's the narrative that's being pushed. And I can tell you from talking to people, that's not true. Caleb Williams made a ton of money in NIL. And you know what he did? He gave a lot of it away to his teammates. You know, nice gifts, big dinners. He was generous with that money that he made. He is a supportive teammate. He was there at the bowl game. He was, you know, cracking jokes and having fun on the sidelines. You know, there's there's a lot of that was made about, oh, there was a lot going on at USC when they were like, oh, we're a team again. You know, those clips that came out about that bowl game. That was not about Caleb Williams as far as I can ascertain. So Caleb Williams is a good guy. He might be a little different. He might be a little unique. He might, you know, you know, march to his own drummer, so to speak, in terms of using some of those cliches, but he is a good guy. Here's what I will say about the three top quarterbacks and the issues I have heard about all three of them. All right. Caleb Williams. We'll start there since we're talking about it. I have heard that Caleb Williams, in terms of football character, now, now when you talk about football character, I will use Justin Fields as the example, so I'm being fair. Justin Fields has phenomenal football character in terms of that leadership, in terms of that gravitas in the locker room that the players all gravitate to. Justin Fields has it. He has it very well. He's very good in terms of having that and that drive first one in, last one to leave kind of thing. Justin Fields has it. What I've heard about Caleb Williams is that that's good for him, but it may not be elite. So that's what the Chicago Bears, when they meet with Caleb Williams, they have to judge his football character. They have to figure out exactly what he is going to be in their locker room. And they need to know if he will truly be the leader that teams want out of their quarterback. That could play an impact, all right? He's got elite skills. He's a good guy. But does he have the football character to be the face of a franchise to take the pressure, the inordinate amount of pressure that is going to be put on his shoulders week in and week out, addressing the media when the media gets a little spicy and has some tough questions? Can he handle that? That's what they're going to be talking about with Caleb Williams. And if the Bears believe he has the makeup to do that, I think they're going to select him. I think that's the questions that need to be answered right now that they don't have. What I've heard about Drake May and the fact that Mel Kuyper put Jaden Daniels 2 on his mock draft, I think, is playing to that. There, I have heard there is a lot more negatives about Drake May in the scouting world than there is about the media world. Those negatives are about how Drake May kind of performs in the fourth quarter. Game on the line, when you need the big throw, can he make the throw and lead the team to victory? That's where the question is there. Does Drake May have the mental makeup to win games in the fourth quarter? That seems to be what they're questioning right now. That's what they're going to do. You know, when when these Washington and these other teams meet with Drake May, New England does, you know, the Bears probably will too. Does he have the makeup they're looking for on the field to be fearless and make the throws and win the games? Jaden Daniels, the concern is the late bloomer. I'll use Velas Jones as an example. Quarterback sure is a little different. Jones didn't break out until he was 24 years old. He was a lot older. He was playing against much younger people. And then he finally breaks out at Tennessee. 
That was the concern with Valus Jones. He was a man playing against boys, basically, when he finally you know, took that next step. Jane Daniels, same thing. Very late bloomer, took multiple years, finally broke out. And not only did he break out, but he had elite weapons with Malik Neighbors and Thomas as his receivers to throw to. So those are the three big concerns I've heard about these quarterbacks moving forward. And then again, when we talk about Justin Fields, the question that I never hear enough, it's, you know, trade back for with a haul or select Marvin Harrison and go with Justin Fields. And, and I get that. And I do. And if you check out Windy City Gridiron, I've been doing a series of top 10 mock drafts. All right. I did the Jaden Daniels mock draft. The Bears take Daniels. I did Drake May, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison. And then I did the trade down for the hall. I chose the Atlanta Falcons. There's a little tease. What could they get for, for that? And then I actually did one that'll come out this weekend. It's called Polls Goes Wild. And it's just, it's a ridiculous take, but it's a lot of fun. Have, you know, knowing that Ryan Poles loves to trade back and collect draft capital. So you can have that one, but check those all out at Windy City Gridiron. So that that's exploring all the different avenues of keeping fields or not keeping fields. But what, again, we're not talking about enough is the financial commitment to Justin Fields. And the idea that Justin Fields, if he remains the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, is going to have significant leverage in conversations. because He doesn't necessarily have to reach that elite top five status to have leverage because the Chicago Bears will have passed on C.J. Stroud, will have passed on Caleb Williams, will have passed on Drake May. And don't sit there and be like, well, they weren't going to take a quarterback anyway. They passed on C.J. Stroud. That's fine if they if you say that. But they did pass on C.J. Stroud. They made the assessment that these quarterbacks weren't special enough to take. If Caleb Williams was out last year, I believe the Bears would have taken Caleb Williams. I don't think they would have traded down and they would have traded Justin Fields. That's what I believe in terms of having this type of player at the top of this draft. So if you've passed on Caleb Williams and Drake May and CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson and all these quarterbacks, because Justin Fields is your quarterback, when you sit down with his agent and his team to discuss a contract extension, that gives them leverage because they're saying, you've committed to Justin. You like him more than these big prospects because you know how good he is and how special he is. That's why you need to pay him 45 to $50 million a year. That's going to be a problem for the Chicago Bears. I can guarantee you that that contract is an issue. And if you're in the department of, well, they can pick up the fifth-year option and that's only $21, 22000000 million and he's cheap this year. You're not looking at the big picture. You're not looking at the situation in terms of what is going to impact this team financially in just a couple of years. That's where everything comes in with Justin Fields. Even if you say, oh, well, you can franchise tag him. Well, that franchise tag is a hefty, hefty tag. And then we're talking a couple of years from now, it's only going to be bigger. The idea of turning down the fifth-year option, you don't even have to commit to that. Guys, if that's where you are with your quarterback assessment, then you've made your assessment that you need a new quarterback. So that's where I think this lies with Caleb Williams and Justin Fields. But again, with Shane Waldron, I think it's a good hire. I just want to circle back to that one more time before we get to Ron Rivera. I like the hire. I like the scheme. And, and you know, yes, there have been some Seattle people on Chicago media and Chicago radio that haven't spoken that highly of Waldron. Well, here's what I look at. 
his DVOA offensively is consistently in the top 10. That's great. You want to look at scoring and, and, and yardage and stuff. There's other things that can impact how that, how that works. But DVOA, and again, until someone says there's a better metric to measure, DVOA shows that the Seattle offense is consistently right around near the top 10 or in the top 10. That's a big step forward. And if that's what you have with Geno Smith, that's even more exciting because with Shane Waldron, you know, he was around Washington Kirk Cousins and helped him develop. And he was around Jared Goff when Jared Goff went from that awful quarterback he was with Jeff Fisher into a, you know, a pretty steady quarterback that was able to get to a Super Bowl with the Rams. Then he's with Russell Wilson and he improves Russell Wilson's time to throw and takes less sacks. Then he gets Geno Smith and turns a journeyman into a pretty good quarterback. So his development of quarterbacks is there. And some of the stuff I heard from Seattle media about what he should have in terms of his, you know, contributions to Geno Smith, that was really downplayed by Seattle. And I don't understand that. Geno Smith was nowhere. His career had failed. He was bouncing around as a backup. And he comes to Seattle and has a resurgence of a decent quarterback, a pretty good quarterback. Shane Waldron should get credit for that. It's not just, well, Geno Smith, you know, picked himself up by his bootstraps and became a pretty good quarterback. I'm not buying that. Now, again, I'm going against Seahawks beat writers and Seahawks media. That may sound stupid, but again, why are we ignoring that Geno Smith had done nothing in his career before this until he gets into uh, onto a team with Shane Waldron? I think that is a big aspect of it. The positives you hear about Shane Waldron are creativity, you know, his ability to build around his his offensive, his his groupings, his personnel. He used a lot of two tight ends before this year, and then once they had JSN and Lockett and Metcalf, he went to a lot more three receiver sets. So he understands what his personnel is. He doesn't use personnel as a giveaway. He doesn't tell you what he's going to do based on his personnel. We talk about it all the time with Bayless Jones. If Bayless Jones is in there, it's going to be a jet sweep. It happens almost all the time. So that that's not going to happen with Shane Waldron. He's really good on first and second down. He gets you to third and manageable really good. He's does, he does that very well. All right, so what are the negatives with Shane Waldron? He's developing quarterbacks. He's good on first and second down. What Where are the negatives? The negatives are in two big aspects. Third down conversion rate is not great. And red zone percentages are not great. So that's a problem. And we'll see if Shane Waldron with a better quarterback can get over those things. Because here's the one thing I'll say. If you go look at Geno Smith's splits, he's pretty good on first and second down. He's not on third down. He plays very poorly on third down. It is his worst down by far. So when defenses know that Geno is going to be throwing, is that where because... Shane Waldron hasn't called up the right play and there's no opportunity to execute? Or is it that Geno Smith, when defenses can't be caught off guard by what the offense is doing, can stop Geno Smith because he's not that good of a quarterback? Those are questions that we really can't answer. We'll see what happens to Geno Smith without Shane Waldron, right? If he takes steps back, then people will be like, oh, wow, Shane Waldron was important there. If Geno Smith improves... Shane Waldron was holding him back. We know exactly what all these narratives are going to be. So when we look at this, 
you know, it's impossible to get definitive answers right now. But overall, I think the Chicago Bears did a good job here with Shane Waldron. And I think Shane is going to be able to put together a good offensive staff. He, you know, has a lot of guys he's already looking to bring over. You know, I sent out the Blues Brothers, you know, putting the band back together. And the one guy that I really hope they get that I've heard a lot of positive things about is Sanjay Lal, the wide receiver coach. You could bring him in, make him passing game coordinator here for in Chicago. He is really thought of highly as a wide receivers coach. Curious if he could unlock even more with DJ Moore. You're clearly going to bring in a rookie wide receiver. Hopefully it's with that ninth pick. If not, it's going to be a second round pick, third round pick, whatever it's going to be. I really hope he joins the staff. It looks like he's going to. He was already interviewed. I hope he comes over. In terms of the number two behind Shane Waldron, that may, may take a little bit of time because these number twos, right, Robinson, Olson, Brown, these guys that hopefully might come to Chicago to be that number two right behind Waldron, they are going to hope for bigger opportunities elsewhere. They're going to hope they get an offensive coordinator spot elsewhere. And if they do, they're going to make that jump. If they don't, and they're in the running in Chicago, I would love Zach Robinson to be QB coach, you know, whatever, assistant head coach, passing game coordinator, whatever titles you're going to throw on Zach Robinson, which would be a lateral move for him. Technically, Sean McVay almost never blocks anyone. He wants his guys to get out there and succeed. He's all for, you know, supporting his guys. So I don't think he would block a lateral move, but what it is, is it's technically going from the number three to the number two, right? He's number three because McVeigh is there, and then it's uh, Lafleur, and then and then it's Robinson, right? That's that's where the the Rams are. So when you come to Chicago, and Eberflus isn't really the top dog on the offense, it's going to be Waldron. You're in the same position, but you are the number two. And if you're Zach Robinson and you want to become an NFL head coach. If you're, again, a believer in Caleb Williams, well, then you think Shane Waldron is going to get a head coaching job in a year or two, then you are going to get the offensive coordinator spot, and then you can get a head coaching job in a year or two. That would be the goal if you're Zach Robinson. And finally, this whole, the Bears don't have a second round pick. I think Ryan Poles expects a second round pick. I, I I will almost guarantee the Chicago Bears have a second round pick this year. And here's why. The path they take at quarterback, the other quarterback they don't keep will net them a second round pick. If they trade the number one pick, there will be a second round pick this year attached, guaranteed. Everybody is saying now, that again, the consensus we're hearing around the league that again, I threw it out there in October and I got blasted about Caleb Williams and that Justin Fields really can't stop the Caleb Williams train if they have the number one pick. The consensus now around the league, you're hearing it just about everywhere, is that the Bears are going to take Caleb Williams. So if that's the case, they're going to trade Justin Fields and the consensus coming around the league is that Fields is going to get a two plus. Second round pick and a little bit extra. Maybe a conditional pick the following year, maybe a fourth round pick, whatever it might be. Two plus is going to be what Justin Fields settles on. So if you've got, if you know, Ryan Poles knows he's going to have a second round pick from whatever quarterback he trades, then he can start looking at second round picks and going, 
if we take a pass rusher at nine, if we take someone like Dallas Turner, if he's available, we can turn around. This is a deep wide receiver class. You know, there's going to be very good wide receivers available in round two. We know we're going to end up with a second round pick and we can move forward with that. So I keep hearing Bears fans going, well, they don't have a second round pick. You can't talk about getting someone in the second round. They're going to have a second round pick this year. It's going to happen. I'm very confident about that. So that's about it there. Uh, we're going to get to Ron Rivera here in a second. We're going to talk Devin Hester, Steve McMichael, and Julius Peppers. And I'll, I'll, I'll even ask him a little bit about Montez Sweat. That is next. Riverboat Ron joins the podcast. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. I am very excited to talk to this person, not just because he's a longtime NFL head coach. He coached in a Super Bowl, I believe, two times, coach of the year, head coach of the year, AP coach of the year. But because if you look at his Wikipedia page, it says he started his coaching career in 1997 with the Chicago Bears. But there is a select group of people that know he actually started his coaching career a couple years prior to that helping out Barrington High School. And I was on that football team when Ron Rivera started coaching, and he joins me now. Coach Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Hey, Billy, good to see you, man. How you been? I'm doing really well. I always bring that up to people. People are like, really? <laughs> Ron Rivera was helping you coach? And it was it was a lot of fun. And I just, the one thing that I still remember so much, because, you know, the, the details of practices and everything, it's, you know, it's 30 years ago now, but your grasp of the game and the the Barrington High School football coaches were all very good. I mean, they went to state, you know, four or five mm -hmm. years after after I left. So it was a good coaching staff. But your grasp of the game and, and how you relay, you know, footwork and pad level and all these important things that just like my 17 year old brain who, you know, thought he knew so much about football, just like really opened up to like, wow, like the, the knowledge that the NFL players have and their experience is just, it's at another level. If you've never been able to just pick someone's brain like that. Well, I appreciate that bill. And you know, the big thing, and I, I still do believe this, that the base fundamentals, the basics of the game are, are really, if you're really, really good at it, you can always fall back to those if, if things get tough. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, so when did you know, you, as I know you retired, I think you did a little television in Chicago. When did you know you wanted to get into coaching? Uh, so when I started working with kids, when I started working with you guys, I, you know, I coached a peewee team. Lynn Kozlowski got me started coaching peewee football. And, you know, he's part of the reason I got into coaching was because I really, truly enjoyed it. 
And I just felt, you know, I have to take my shot. I'll never know if I don't take my shot. And that's what I did. Fortunate enough at the time, Dave Wanstead was the head coach. He gave me an opportunity to come in and, and be part of what he was trying to do. And, and, you know, so my first two years, I actually got to work for the Bears as a coach back in uh, 1997. All right. So, I, I was an offensive lineman, but I wore 76 because my my favorite trench player was Steve <laughs> McMichael. So I wanted to have you on because as far as I can tell, you you may be the only person that had, you know, you know, detailed relationships with these three Chicago Bears that are up for the Hall of Fame this year. And of course, Steve McMichael, and we've all been following his battle with ALS closely, yeah. and he's he's unbelievably strong and and it's incredible that that he's been able to to stay with us for this long and and, and hopefully everything goes well. And it seems like, you know, I've heard it's a rubber stamp. He's going to make it for sure on that senior committee. But I, I wanted to ask you about playing with him because he was just such a dynamic player. And, and his just, I, I always felt like, I mean, I know there were a lot of guys between Singletary and Hampton and a lot of guys like that. But it always felt like me that he was that engine of that mid-80s Chicago Bears defense. You know, you put that very, very succinctly, because if you really do look at the guys that have gotten into the Hall of Fame that have all been part of what, what you know, I was fortunate enough to be around back in, in, in the early 80s, mid 80s, um, it was phenomenal. But Steve McMichael, is probably a good way to put it, was he was the engine. He was the glue. And what was interesting about it, too, because if you look at it, because we had, you know, Dan Hampton, we had Richard Dent, who were so dynamic on that defensive line. But we had Steve McMichael, who did the dirty work. I mean, the absolute dirty work. I mean, he... You know, he's the guy that hunkered in there, dropped dropped anchor, held his point, allowed the linebackers to run, uh, allowed Hampton, allowed Dent to get vertical, and then he would push that pocket, and you know those guys would get all the glory. And Steve just went about his business. And 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 I think, you know, when you look at a Hall of Fame guy, you know, one of the things is, you know, he he may be one of the best players on the team, but Steve McMichael was the best player for the team. This is a guy that helped elevate everybody else's play because of his unselfish way of playing the football game, you know, and that, that was probably the most important thing about Steven was that he was so unselfish and he helped to make other guys around him better. Yeah. I, I love, I love the way you put that. And I, I know, and I've heard Mike Singletary talk about how much space he had to work with because oh. of guys like McMichael and stuff up front. Billy, let me tell you a quick, funny story. Okay. Back in 1986, I got my first start for the bears as a middle linebacker, Mike was hurt. So I got a chance to start. Uh, we were playing Detroit at home. I led the team in tackles. Coach Dicka gives me a game ball for leading the team in tackles that day. Um, and so what happened was when he gives me the game ball, Steve McMichael says, well, maybe it's not the guy behind us, but it's the two guys in front of him. <laughs> him and, you know, so him and Hamp had a nice little chuckle about that. But that's kind of the way Steve looked at things is that Steve really did help and did allow people to go and play football. And he did make us better. Yeah, that's that, that that's great. And like, I, you know, it's been, he's waited so long for this opportunity. And, and I don't know what made him underrated because like you said he did a lot of the dirty work but it's not like he didn't get you know sacks on his own i think i saw that he's third yeah. in sacks amongst defensive tackles behind aaron donald and uh i, I can't john randall i think is the other yeah. one i mean that's still that's some great company to be with so like what i mean is it because hampton and dent were hall of famers and you can't put three like what what, what do you think held well, mcmichael back I, you know, and you're probably onto something there, Billy. But if you really do think about it, you got Hampton, you got Dent, and you got Singletary behind him. So again, when you've got those three guys, you got a trifecta, 
Now you add the fourth guy, the guy, like I said, that did the dirty work that allowed the other guys to, to, to do the things that they did. You know, you got to recognize him. And I think that, you know, that, that unfortunately it took time. It really did. And, and that was because, you know, he wasn't flashy. You know what I'm saying? If you hadn't mentioned that, that he was third all time in defensive tackles, most people go, what, what, wait a minute, he was third. So I, I think that that was probably a big part of it was that he wasn't getting all the headlines. He wasn't the flashy guy. He wasn't like, you know, one of the faces of, of the defensive unit. Um, and which is kind of hard to say because he, he really was one of the iconic guys. Yeah, he, he really was. And, and and speaking of iconic defensive linemen, another guy I want to ask you about is Julius Peppers, who, oh. of course, spent a few years in Chicago. You had the opportunity to coach him later in his career when he came back to Carolina. And I mean, this this guy was just a physical freak, a physical specimen that, you know, he, I mean, he was a phenomenal basketball player in college. There was so much athleticism behind him. Like what what? made him be beyond just the athletic makeup of him what made him such a special football player i think was really the way he played he played hard he played physical he played fast he played smart um you know he used his athletic ability not only did he play defensive end but sometimes he'd end up as a three technique sometimes in all the way down at the nose and that was just you know based on movement by the offensive line but here's a guy that pretty much played all along that line and then he even dropped into coverage a few times because he had a, he had a few interceptions that he returned for touchdowns. Um, then they moved him over to tight end, and in goal line situations, they'd have him run a, a you know a fade or, or or a quick look in and throw it up high and let him go rebound it. And and that you know just spoke again to his athleticism and his abilities. But he was also you know one of those guys that 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 did help the players around him play better. And so I think, again, you when you recognize a guy with that kind of ability, that kind of a talent, and the kind of career he had, you have to recognize that guy and put that guy in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I, this is his first opportunity, and I, I would expect him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I'm, I'm going to say this, and it may sound dumb, as a guy that I expect to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and who, who wrecked games and everything, but... I still almost feel like Julius Peppers is underrated in, in my yes. opinion. Like, I feel like he should be in that. I'm not saying he's Reggie White, but I feel like he should be in that breath of those all-time, all-time pass rushers. And you don't hear his name brought up at that level. He's obviously great. People recognize his greatness. But, I, you know, in kind of the things you were talking about, I think he's even underappreciated in some aspects. I think a better word is underappreciated. Just, just because, again... He really isn't flamboyant. He isn't flashy. He's not, you know, you sit there, you talk about things. You remember the people that are flashy. You remember the people that stand out beyond the game. I mean, in the game, you know, you could bring him up and say, that's right. That's the kind of player he was. But you sit there and don't say, well, I remember when he flashed and did this. And, and, and you know, he was out there and, you know, and, and doing these commercials and, and getting that kind of recognition. That, that wasn't Julius. And, and he's never really been like that. Um, but he's a guy that is very well-deserving just because of the way he played the game. All right. Well, last person I want to ask you about, and I think probably most interesting for Bears fans, and, and not because of, you know, he, he's, he's you know, recent and, and exciting, but because I think a lot of Bears fans are expect, expecting, you know, positive results for Steve McMichael and Julius Peppers. But Devin Hester is definitely more on the bubble and I know when the arguments first came up a few years ago is, well, you can't just put, you know, a guy who returned kicks and punts in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, if we're going to put Ray Guy in the Hall of Fame, everyone assumes Adam Vinatieri is going in. There's other kickers in. If you're going to put specialists in. Oh, yeah. The guy who's the greatest returner of all time, who's got more return touchdowns than Deion Sanders, who also has interception returns in his touchdown total. It's a no brainer to me. And I, I don't, I'm hoping Devin doesn't have to wait any longer because he was such a special. 
special talent. And I think as someone who was the defensive coordinator when, when he came in, it probably just completely impacted how you guys, you know, plan for games. Oh, most certainly. And, and, and you know, the thing that you have to look at is you have to judge him for what he does and, and how he impacted the game with his limited opportunities. That's the thing that, that that's amazing. You know, I, I can remember him taking over a game when we played the Rams down in, 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 in St. Louis when they were still in St. Louis. You know, he returned a punt. He returned a kickoff for touchdowns. You know, I can remember him making an impact in the Arizona game on the infamous we knew who they were. So, again, you go back and think about the way and his limited opportunities, he made the most of them. And that's why a guy like that most certainly should be in the Hall of Fame because he impacts it. And, and there are so many other returners that are out there that, you know, people forget that these guys were the kind of guys that made impacts in the game because they changed field position. You know, the, 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 uh, the quick hit score, you know, you know, and, you know, eight seconds later, 10 seconds later, 12 seconds later, you know, the game's tied or they've taken the lead and extended it because of a great return. And, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, they're all throughout the league and we, 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 for whatever reason, oh, you know, you, you can't have a guy like that. They only, he's only out there once in a while. Well, if he's only out there once in a while, but yet his impact is felt, you got to really consider that guy, you know, how he changes field position, you know, how he changes the, 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 the tempo of the game, how he sets the tempo of the game on the first opening kickoff in the Super Bowl. He returns a kickoff and changes the tempo early on. So again, you, you have to judge him for that as well as, you know, as, 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 as anybody else you're looking at saying, well, you know, he, he okay, the only time he, he, he only kept, caught touchdowns, okay? That's what they said about Chris Carter. But no, it's every time Chris Carter was out there, there was always a threat that he could go for a touchdown. Sure. So when, when, you, when you look at how the guys impact games, those are the people that you sit there and you say, that's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, and and like you said, it it's not just the touchdowns; it's it's the other impact he can have. And that that Super Bowl team uh, with, with you and and, and Lovey, that was obviously we all know that was a defensive team. You know that the defense led the way that year. But and I know Rex had a couple good years, you know, a couple good games throwing the football, and the offense yeah. could score some points. But but I mean, let's let's not be mistaken that the offense was. A, couple steps further back than the defense and what Devin Hester provided being able to shorten the field or force you to kick the ball out of bounds where you only may get a 30, 35 yard net because you don't want him to touch the football. The things that he was able to do to boost the offense and shorten the field for the offense and make it a lot more manageable for an offense that's probably not going to go nine plays, 80 yards for the score. I mean, that, that had to help you with so many victories, you know, that, that season. Oh, without a doubt. And that's the thing everybody has to understand is that guys that, that you know, they impact the game strict, you know, you know, in fear sometimes. I mean, sometimes guys look at it and they sit there and say, man, we can't kick to them. We got to do something else, you know, and it does change the way people approach the game. And, and that's and that's the other big part that people have to understand is that, you know, it, it, it's it's not just when they have the ball in, in their hands, but it's how do they uh, affect other people in the way people look at games say, man, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. And they're only talking about a returner, but a special returner. And that's the thing I think people have to understand. Yeah, I, he, he really was. It looks like we lost your video, but the, the audio is good. And just have a have a couple more with you. But uh, I, I just wanted to ask you, oh, he's coach is back. Um, you know, when you guys drafted Devin and it was a second round selection, I mean, was there was there plans to have him play corner or was it more yes. just the focus of knowing how good he was as a returner? 
It was both. I mean, you know, and, and, and again, got to give a lot of credit to, to, to Lovey Smith and our scouting department because, you know, the thought was this guy was such an explosive, dynamic player that we had to first have him on the field any way possible. Okay. And we had him at corner and he was dynamic and explosive, but you know, he, he, he was, he, he was a guy that had to learn the position because he had played running back at Miami as well. And he was a returner there. So they switched him over, had him do some things on offense where he played wide receiver, where he played some running back stuff. And the, the, the thing that, you know, and, and again, I, I, you know, I, I really think that when you, when you look at, you know, what transitioned or what, what, what came about that created the opportunity for him to be so dynamic more so than anything else was that on special teams, you know, he was, he was a running back that could, you know, that, that, that was a guy people didn't want to tackle. You know, you think about it, it, it's a kickoff, it's a 40 yard sprint down there to cover it. And you got a running back that's got a, you know, 20, 30 yard sprint after he catches it. And, you know, it's a high impact collision. And, and, you know, Dave told the special teams coach, and I remember him telling this to, to, um, to Devin, just saying, now remember, Devin, during the cold, when it gets cold, that's going to be your advantage because people aren't going to want to make contact with you, especially if you got a full head of steam. I mean, think about how many arm tackles he broke. Sure. You know, again, you have to be a, a big, stout body to run through arm tackles consistently, and that's what he did. Yeah, he was he was and he was just so fun to watch too. It's just, you know, it's it's a lot of those things, you know, if you're watching the game at home and you're going to go up to go to the, you know, the it's it's 4th and 8, so it's it's time to go run to the bathroom or get a yep. drink out of the fridge. Not if Devin Hester was back there. You know, that was or if you're in the game, you're 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 going to wait in line for the beer or the or the bathroom because you have to be there for Devin Hester's return. And you, and you know how many times I heard people say that is that you know, the worst part is I got to go to the restroom but I would sit and wait till the punt. And after they punt it, then I would go to the restroom. I said, well, you might miss something in the office. They go, well, maybe, maybe not. So it was kind of interesting. But you know, the, the thing interesting too, and again, you said it earlier about the need to have more specialists in, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, because you also got to think about the the, the, the guys that, that that set the tone, you know, uh, Billy White Shoes Johnson, sure. Brian Mitchell. I mean, there's some great returners that haven't got their due and our takes way too long for them to get their due. So, you know, you know, if Devin gets in, I think it's, it might help open doors for guys that deserve it as well. I mean, Brian Mitchell, you know, I'm, I'm up here in, 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 in Washington and, and I know the impact he had. I was with, I was on the coaching staff in Philadelphia when he was there for a few years and the impact he made there and then coming here and listening to the impact he made. That's a guy that people need to really take a look at his career and see how he impacted the game, not just as a running back, um, but as a guy that returned punts and kicks, I mean, he is a dynamic player as well. So Absolutely. I, I agree with what you said, Billy. They need to take a nice, good, steady look at Devin because I really do think he deserves it. Absolutely. I think you made a good point that that could open up doors for some other deserving candidates. So last thing for you before I let you go, and I really appreciate you joining me. I just had to ask you one question about Montez Sweat because, you know, obviously you you had an opportunity to coach him for for a few years there. And I think Chicago as a whole, fans and media underrated him. And, and you know, I think some people said, oh, that was a steep price to pay to, to get him over here. And, and I think everyone expected him to be good. But he elevated this defense in a way that 
I don't think a lot of people expected. He was an absolute animal. The, the pressures, he elevated Tremaine Edmonds behind him. He elevated Demarcus Walker beside him. He did. He had such a big impact on the game. I mean, he led Washington and Chicago in sacks this year. Yes. I think that's the first time that's ever happened in NFL history. Uh, he is a, an incredible asset, and I think Ryan Poles made a really smart move bringing him over from, from your squad. He did, you know, and, and again, it, it, you know, it, it, it was kind of a, uh, a shift in the, in the, the um, you know, in, in the thought process and, and how to build, you know, the, the team here. But the one thing about, uh, you know, a, a man of his ability is you, you, you have to now account for him. So teams, when they're game planning and they sit there and they look at Montez and go, man, we've got to be able to answer that question. We got to turn the center to him all the time, or we got to step the back to, or we got to put a tight end over there. You know, we got to, rig our protections to him and now they forget about the other guys you know or because of his great abilities to get upfield force that quarterback to step up into the pocket the interior rushers now affect the passing mm -hmm. game so you know his effect just isn't what he does but how he affects his other guys i mean again this is a guy that's you know probably the best player for his team because he does those things he helps elevate his teammates yeah, absolutely. You know, in that in that same breath of Steve McMichael and, and Julius yep. Peppers that we talked about before. Well, there he is, uh, longtime NFL head coach, of course, of Carolina and Washington, Ron Rivera. Coach, thanks for joining me here. I really enjoy the conversation and best of luck in the future. Appreciate it, Billy. Good talking to you again, kiddo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, there he is, Ron Rivera. That that was a lot of fun for me. I've I've bumped into Ron a couple times. I've bumped into him at the Super Bowl, you know, Radio Row, the Media Center, things like that. He, you know, they always there's always guys bouncing around there. And we've had a chance to catch up a little bit, but I have not had a chance to sit down and talk with him because he's always employed by by, you know, teams and he's head coaches and while I can certainly work to set him up for some of the other, you know, media outlets I've worked with, in terms of getting him on my own podcast, you know, that's, that it's a tough spot to put him in personally and, and asking, you know, the Carolina Panthers or the Washington Commanders, hey, you know, I, I know Coach for when he coached me in high school. It's a little bit of a, a weird email to send. So, you know, the fact that he is currently un unemployed, we'll see if he gets a, a defensive coordinator spot or, a you know, a senior defensive analyst assistant type role here. I know he's talked to Philadelphia. You know, he's going to talk to a couple other places, I'm sure. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Ron here in the coming weeks. But, you know, being that he did not have employment from a current NFL team, I thought it was a great opportunity to talk to him. And, and I really think I, what he said about Steve McMichael to me was, I mean, so just, you know, right on and how important he was to that defense. And I am really thrilled for Mongo. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to believe that he is he is still here with us and he is going to hear his name called for the Hall of Fame. I just I just think that's awesome. I mean, some of the stuff we heard about him in September, it, it did not look good, but he's still here and he is, you know, again, 
uh, the, the the fight of his life with ALS here, and he is proving just how tough of an individual he is, that he just continues to battle for his life every day. It's a horrible story. It's just awful. You know, any any of these diseases that attack the nervous system and, and, and everything, and I, it's just, they're, they're awful. They're, if you've ever witnessed a loved one, it's it's just the worst thing in, in, in you could possibly imagine. And, and the fact that he is just fighting through it is speaks to his, him, him as a person and his character. So uh, really liked hearing what he had to say about, about him. Devin Hester, the impact he had on games just cannot be understated. And Julius Peppers. To me, McMichael and Peppers are in and Hester's going to be the question mark. So I hope Hester gets in because this is really his good opportunity here. There's a lot of big names that are popping up that are pretty much first ballot Hall of Famer locks in the next few years, which is going to be less room for him to to get in and again he's got plenty of time to do it but we all want to see Devin Hester get in you know now we don't want to see him get in 10 years from now but you know hopefully his name is called this year but we will have to see uh when, when that gets announced there uh during uh you know leading up to the Super Bowl now uh I just put this out on Twitter for poll questions or for podcast questions I don't think I'm going to get too many cuz like I said I just put this out but let's see what we have here we are going to talk to Chris Armstrong, who says, where's a good non-West Coast offense landing spot for Justin? Well, that is a tough question to answer right now, because which teams are going to be running West Coast offenses or potentially different offenses, because they don't have coaches right now. We've heard of them, the Atlanta Falcons. Well, what are the Atlanta Falcons going to do? That's going to make an impact in terms of what the, you know they do at quarterback. You know, the Raiders. That is another definite option there. But what are the Raiders going to do? Are they, you know, what changes are they making offensively? You know, there's been some change there, you know, that you've got a new GM, but you don't have, but you have the same head coach. What are the Raiders going to do? That, that's, a, that's a tough situation there as well. So I'm not exactly sure if I can answer that at this point in terms of what's a good landing spot for Justin. Now, we've heard the Raiders. And we've certainly heard the Falcons. You know, there's a couple teams that have that are pretty good, but need help at quarterback, but may not have an option to get a quarterback through the draft or through free agency. So that's going to open the door for Justin Fields potentially in, in a few different spots. Now, you know, in terms of what those teams are going to do, Pittsburgh Steelers, that's another one. What are they going to do at their offensive coordinator spot? Obviously, Canada was out. Are they going to make a big change there offensively? So we it, it's tough to say that at this point. I think the Bears, assuming they trade fields, are going to want to try and move him to the AFC if possible. You'd rather not have, your, your, you know, like the Minnesota Vikings. You don't want to trade Justin Fields to Minnesota and play him twice a year. That's a bad idea. It's just that, not, you know, Atlanta, that's a little better, but you know, you still could be button heads with Justin, you know, every you know, couple every couple of years. You'd rather avoid that. If you can get Justin to the AFC, Raiders and Steelers, again, two teams that make a lot of sense to me in terms of landing spots there. That that makes the most sense. I threw this out because I think it's a fun idea, and the fact that the Denton, you know, Denver passed on fields. With Sean Payton there and Sean Payton's love of Taysom Hill and those type of styles, 
I do wonder, you know, they, they don't want Russell Wilson there anymore. We've heard the whole drama there. I do wonder if Justin Fields is a path that maybe the Denver Broncos would go down, which would be very funny if you think about it from draft day. It would be very funny that Sean Payton comes in and goes, no, give me Justin Fields. But I just feel like that maybe is a dark horse candidate because I feel that Payton would be able to build an offense around Justin Fields' skills. So that's what I would say about that. You know, in terms of other questions here, we've got one from Daniel Coltern. What are you hearing in terms of direction the Bears will go at QB? So Daniel's asking what I'm hearing, not what I think. And again, what I am hearing is a pretty steady path in one direction, and that direction is Caleb Williams. And again, it comes down to the Bears now working him out and meeting with him and, you know, going to the combine and all the different things they have to do. You know, you heard Josh Lucas. I believe he was on Hogan Johns. I'm not sure. You know, he does a couple different outlets now. You heard Josh Lucas say that he felt recently that he felt one of the mistakes they made is that they settled on Mitch Trubisky too early in the process. I don't think that's a mistake that Ryan Poles is going to make. I think he understands that he has a lot of time, even in his press conference. He said he's going to take till April. You know, when we heard him about trading the number one pick, he talked about doing it early. You know, he's pretty transparent with that stuff. Now, in terms of this year, now he said he has he's going to take all the way through April. So I think we should believe him at his word because that's what he's always done. So to me, I look at this and say that, you know, they are leaning one direction and they are leaning Caleb Williams. And that is not just my opinion. That's the opinion of Daniel Jeremiah. That's the opinion of Mel Kuyper. That's the opinion of Dane Brugler. That is the opinion of a lot of draft guys. And I will sit there and say this, the media poll that I did before the Packers game that I know a lot of you, oh, the media doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. Well, the media said that Luke Getze would be out. The media said that Matt Eberflus would return. And the media said that Justin Fields would be out. So right now they're two for two. So if you if you sit there and go, well, maybe the media is about to be three for three. And again, like I said, good Chicago media people were part of that poll and strong national media people were part of that poll. So when you put all those aspects into it, it certainly looks like to me that, you know, when the media hears some things from scouts, hears some things from teams, gets kind of the vibe of, of where teams might be leaning. There is a lot of early smoke and it's early. This is not reporting. This is not definitive. Again, I'm a strong believer that it's going to happen, but I believe that the Chicago Bears will take Caleb Williams, but they will do their due diligence and make sure that everything checks out with him. And the last thing I want to say, I meant to talk about this before Ron Rivera, so I will get to it as a conclusion. I don't want this podcast to get too long. I know I gave you some really long podcasts throughout November and December, but there was so much to talk about, is the piece I did on Cliff Stein. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check out my timeline. It's there. You can Google it. Cliff Stein, Windy City Gridiron, I'm sure it'll pop up. I talked to a lot of different people to try and figure out why Cliff Stein was let go. And I think I, I painted a pretty good picture. At least I hope I did. He was really well thought of, you know, the first half or so of his tenure. You know, a really, 
you know, a leader in the NFL in terms of contract negotiations and, and really how to how to maximize your franchise and, and settle contracts that rookies are happy with. Like he, he was really good. He was a good negotiator. He, he was fair. He helped out the team. And then over the last several years, you know, there were some, um, some dents on the resume, so to speak. And in terms of now, look, you guys can take any conclusions you want. I am not telling you one thing or another, but, I was surprised based on what I wrote in there. And I specifically did write that the sources I talked to did not link any anything directly that Cliff Stein was leaking information to the media. And a lot of you jumped all over Greg Gabriel and all over that Cliff Stein was the big leaker out, out at Hallis Hall. I don't think that to be the case. He, he may have leaked some information. And there may be some old guard there that leaks some information and, and Kevin Warren may want to try and clean that up. And maybe Cliff Stein was suspected. Maybe he wasn't. But that's why I specifically said that in there. But everyone jumped in that Greg Gabriel was pissed because Cliff Stein was his source and his lost his source at Hallis Hall. I don't think that's the case. I think Greg Gabriel is very good friend. Again, this is my speculation. Is very good friends with Cliff Stein. And they talk regularly. And whether he gets information or not, I don't know. But that he was pissed that his friend was let go by the Chicago Bears. That And that's where that crazy reaction came from. I don't think it's what you guys are pushing on, on social media. But again, I tried to paint the best picture I could. There were multiple things that went into this. Like I said, Kevin Warren was not thrilled with what he took over in terms of the stadium. That plays a part into it. I think the contract negotiations and kind of where things have been the last couple of years, that plays a big part in it. So there's multiple aspects to why Kevin Warren reached this decision. <coughs> and I think, you know, a lot of this will, you know, kind of come into focus. I do think we may see one or two other high-level executives that are let go in the next, you know, weeks, months here during the offseason. We will see how all that plays out. But again, it's the first time I've ever written kind of a journalistic piece like that, and it's about Cliff Stein's tenure in Chicago. If you want to check it out, you know, would mean a lot to me. I would appreciate it. Again, just Google Cliff Stein, Windy City, Gridiron. It should pop right up. I believe the title is The Rise and Fall of Cliff Stein and What Led to His dismissal. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. We are going to keep talking Bears off season as often as we can. So I'm not sure when the next Bears banter will be. It could be in two days. It could be in two weeks. So stay tuned. The sporadic Bears banter's off season continues. Talk to you soon, everybody. Bear down. Adios.